Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post's politics podcast. I'm Ned Simons and with me are Paul War and Martha Gill. Yesterday, MPs voted on a non-binding Opposition Day motion to invoke Article 50 by the end of March 2017. First up, here's a flavour of that debate. And I put the government on notice that if it fails to produce a plan by the time we are debating Article 50 legislation, if we are, assuming the government doesn't win, amendments from this side and possibly from the other side of the House, uh, will be put forward, setting out the minimum requirements of a plan. Uh, In other words, uh, we're not going to have a situation where the government uh, seeks a vote uh, in a vacuum or produces a late, vague plan. This is a negotiation. It's not a policy statement. And therefore, where we're aiming for... And I think we, we may be on the same page on this, where we're aiming for uh, may, may not be the exact place we end up at. And I think he would uh, understand that. But to say that it might consist of hints, I would merely remind the House that when Moses came down from the mountain bearing the tablets, it did not contain the ten hints. He was pretty clear. He was pretty clear about what he was telling people what to do. So... What actually happened yesterday, guys? I mean, did Labour get trapped with this? Because it was their motion initially, and Theresa May sort of snuck in at the end there and added on the, the, the timetable part of it, didn't, didn't Yeah, she? I mean, um, it's a, it was a really odd day, day because you had not just this Brexit means Brexit, uh, but also the amendment means the amendment, and the motion means the motion. And poor the poor public out there will be wondering, what on earth were the MPs voting on this week? And in a nutshell... What happened was Labour tried to ambush the government over Brexit by trying to get as many Tory rebels as possible to support their idea of, you know, let's force Theresa May to publish an actual plan for Brexit. Mm. Then the government uh, saw an opportunity rather cleverly, I think, uh, because then they amended that Labour motion and effectively added on, well... If you we, we agree with all this, yeah, we'll publish a plan. But you guys, the MPs, have got to trigger this whole thing by the end of March, which is government's timetable. And Labour, for good or ill, decided to adopt that. Now, t- there were 23 Labour rebels who thought that was giving a blunt check to the, to the government, uh, and they've been out and about. But, and of course, there were Lib Dems and SNP as well who objected to that timetable. But I thought the really interesting thing was whether or not Labour should have actually abstained on the government mm. amendment. If it had abstained, then I think it wouldn't have been split. And I also think that it could have, you know, kept its powder dry for the next attempt at this whole parliamentary... Why do you think they didn't? Do you think they were scared of the accusation that the government was very much pushing that, you know, if you vote against their amendment, you're voting against Brexit? They were. You could play that quite easily, They were really scared about that because, you know, I mean, let's not forget a lot of Labour, and we'll talk about this later, but a lot of Labour constituencies obviously voted Leave. And, you know, the Tories know that on every single election leaflet in Labour seats, they're going to put on their leaflet, you know, did your MP vote Mm. for or against Brexit? Did they defy your will? And 
that's why I thought it would have been cannier for Labour to just opt out of that whole thing, because you can't be accused of voting against Brexit if you just abstain. Now, of course, the Tories would say, well, you know, that Labour didn't even make their minds up. They didn't even back you. That's how they'd pitch it. You yeah. know, the Labour didn't, you know, double down on your vote. So I suppose that's why Keir Starmer uh, took the decision And he also did. if we look at the actual Labour initial amendment, which called on Theresa May to publish some kind of plan before she triggers Article 50... To my mind, it was also quite vague. I mean, what what is a plan? I mean, what actually are they going to get from their half of, of their motion? Could she not just say, this is my plan, and it be a few words that says, this is my plan? Like, what actually are they going to get from it? Yeah, and also, what's, what's going to happen if Labour votes against it or Labour doesn't accept that plan? Like, what, what's the next step? Do, because they can't necessarily not have... Brexit, like what? What's the what's well, and the is that the problem that Labour's got? I mean, back to John McDonnell when he gave a speech a couple of weeks ago about Labour's position, which was we're not going to block Brexit, we're not going to frustrate Brexit, but he's going to put moral pressure on the mm, government yeah. to do kind of the the kind of uh, Brexit that the left wants. Well, what does that actually boil down to? Well, what that, is moral pressure? How much? That's they... the problem. I mean, you know, Keir Starmer was quite clear. He said, "Look, we we we're going to try with." obviously going to reserve the right to amend whatever legislation comes forward so if you if you have a, a plan and within that plan we're not happy with it and it, it's not detailed enough then we reserve the right to amend it but what they don't say is that if they're unhappy and, and their amendment falls do they then vote against the government and they said quite clearly they're not going to do anything that obstructs article 50 so labor in a real bind here they really are and i think they are as one Tory MP put it to me, you know, Kirsten was too clever by half with that motion. You know, it got Labour into lots and lots mm. of knots that maybe they didn't need to get into. And lots of Tory MPs confronted him in the chamber by saying, OK, well, you want a plan, but what's your plan? What is Labour's detail plan? And you have to say Labour doesn't have one because Labour has this problem, and we're going to talk about it later, of how do they square the circle of having free trade, continued free trade with the EU while having curbs on mm. migration. And they haven't got a plan either. So I feel sorry for the poor voter in the middle of all this, I have to say. And also in terms of what happens now after this kind of this business of this opposition day motion that really doesn't mean anything yeah. technically. I mean, it's it doesn't force no. the Prime Minister to do anything. It's more just political pressure. Are we going to get now a white paper on on uh, legislation for, for Article Fifty? Is it going to be? We're not going to get that. A lot of the kind of Tory Remainers are quite keen on that. In fact, David Davis, the Brexit Secretary before he was Brexit Secretary, yeah. said a kind of a proper white paper was the way to go. So yeah, is that, is uh, that, is you're that not going to get anything that detailed. Number ten, we're making quite clear this week to me and others that actually it's going to be a skeleton sort of mm. plan. Um, that doesn't mean it will be just one page. I think that they realise that'd be an insult to Parliament. So they're going to. She's really big font or something. You know, exactly. Like <laughs> in seventy-two point, but um, I think. What's going to happen is it, it, the ball will be chucked back to Labour and the Lib Dems. And, and basically, if they want to amend that plan, how are they going to amend it? That's the really difficult thing. And add on top of that, the arithmetic. Now, all right, the government's got a working majority in theory of 13. Mm. OK, so only, you know, seven Tories rebels are needed to turn that over. OK, in theory. But in practice, it's got a working Brexit majority of about 39 or 40. Mm. Why? Because the DUP, the Democrat unionists in Northern Ireland are on board with Brexit. You've got UKIP MP Douglas Carswell. You've got a few Labour people. Mm. and But more importantly, you've got some ill Labour people as well, like Joel, Co Joel Kaufman, who doesn't turn up at the moment. So the government have been telling me, the whips, that actually their majority is roughly around 40. That would need 20 Tory MPs to side with Labour and everyone else, the SNP and Liberal Democrats, if you can ever imagine that coalition yeah. working. 
um, to have a chance of drawing even. So that's how mm. difficult it is in terms of the arithmetic. And of course, we spend all this time obsessing about kind of what is our plan, what's Britain's plan, kind of ignoring the fact that it's not just us involved in this. It is yeah. a negotiation. And we had um, Michel Barnier, who's the EU Commission's chief negotiator, come out this week in his first press conference. And he said sort of that cheeky kind of World War II analogy. He said, what was it? Um, uh, keep calm and negotiate, he told, he told Theresa yeah. May. Um, and saying, you know, we're here, we're ready, kind of come at us. And we kind of forget that this is a negotiation. Yeah, if but also it's, it's, it's also not so much a negotiation, it's a negotiation about a divorce. And it's worth mm. remembering this is a divorce. And at the moment we're going through a, a, not even a trial separation, it's a separation. So we've, both parties have said, right, we're separating, that's it, I'm out of here. Um, still living in the same house. But not still like living in the same house for now, but what we're planning for from the end of March is actually that decree Nisi, the actual formal break the brexit divorce document will be served and then as michel barnier the reason he was interesting was he was saying well what's the timetable then for that divorce he was suggesting that first of all for about six months we're going to negotiate on what is the cost what do we owe them before we leave you know what are our arrears or debts and then we we he reckoned about a year to actually do proper negotiations till october 2018 mm. and then a few months to allow obviously the whole of the rest of Europe has to ratify it in their own parliaments. The European Parliament has to ratify it. Our own Parliament will probably have to ratify. Mm. Will have to ratify it. That's what David Davis yeah. revealed. Um, and I, again, the divorce analogy really works because, really, as with most divorces, you know you're breaking up, but then the row is over who keeps which bit of the CD collection or who has which access to the kids. You know, and it's the access to the single market. And it's which bits we keep of the migration or not yeah. that actually are central. And I think having a year to negotiate that roughly is really, really tight. But there's no way around it. I thought another interesting part of his press conference when, as he listed kind of the key points the EU was going into negotiation with, was one of them was the EU is united, that the European governments are united in their position. Well, that's what he was at least claiming, yeah. or perhaps even a message to EU governments was, look, we need to stick together. It was interesting, I think, a couple of months ago, the French ambassador was speaking in Washington. Um, it was just after the Brexit vote, not long after. And he said one of their first thoughts was, oh God, we could be in a bit of trouble here because the British are very good at kind of divide and rule. And they were thinking the British have an advantage because they're just one and we're 27. But then you look at it, if, they're all, if it only takes one of those 27 to stick their heels in, and then the rest have to kind of agree because yeah. they're going to be united together. And I thought that was a, a, a sort of message that Barney was making to his, to his own side. Yeah, I think that's true. And it, but then again, I'm sure David Davis, who's, who's as a former Europe minister under the John Major government, actually knows the way you can divide and rule in mm. Europe. And they, they know that they're going to have to try and split people off. Having said that, you're right. I mean, it, only this week. Uh, Angela Merkel telling her own conference actually that the mm. freedom of movement was indivisible from the other freedoms. I think that was really significant. Well, talking of freedom of movement, actually, Martha, yep. in the debate, there was, um, despite all the kind of constitutional discussions, Andy Burnham stood up and kind of gave this immigration speech, didn't he? And wh what did he say? What was the, the thrust yeah, so, of his so he So he sort of said uh, two things. He, he, he said that the... Um, that a failure to address immigration control in general had uh, made it unsafe on the streets and had divided communities, which was quite strong language, really. Although he's quite, he's he's yeah, been talking about he's been talking about um, 
problems with immigration way before a lot of other Labour MPs. But but this is kind of, I think, the strongest. Like, what was his it. point about? But he also laid it at Labour's door. He said it's Labour's fault. We should have we 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 failed right. to acknowledge that migration control is a big issue. And and it's and it's our fault that it's unsafe on the streets, which is which was kind of an explosive. Thing Did he specify say, really? what he meant by unsafe on the streets at all? I mean, no, he didn't. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. I know it was quite an uh, odd, odd phrase, means. wasn't it? It's I kind mean, of yeah. It was the sort of thing that UKIP would say. Yeah, you know, it was a sort of hint of you know racial sort discontent of. if things are allowed to get out of hand. Or, or that sort of the biggest political unrest you've ever yeah. seen that Nigel Farage was, was kind yeah. of talking about. I mean, it was clumsily worded, but I thought that it was significant. He thought, you know, don't forget he's going. You know, Andy, yeah. Andy Burnham's going off to be Metro Mayor of, of Manchester, almost certainly, given that um, they've got a massive majority there. And it was like his swan song in Parliament saying, look, you know, this is my stake in the ground, saying, look, I've always been saying that immigration's been a problem. I got a kicking about it, you know, when I was um, Shadow Home Secretary, when I was in the general election talking about people in the workplace feeling uncomfortable at hearing sort of polls and other people speaking in their workplace, feeling excluded, he got a kicking for that. And so he's he says he's got a bit of a history on this and he's standing up for the people in his, his northern constituency. However, you know, that only... And he's one of many who are worried about UKIP, obviously. Um, but I think that it also, again, just underlines how split Labour is because there was a great stat this week, which was of the 232 Labour MPs, 149 are in constituencies mm. that voted leave. Only 83 are in constituencies that voted remain. Now, that's the statistic that actually will overshadow the rest of the parliament, I think. And that's why it was just as powerful to hear uh, the contrary case to Burnham from Heidi Alexander in London had a strong Remain vote in her London constituency. And she said something, it was quite thoughtful and it was quite powerful. She said, "As a f I'm a childless 41-year-old woman and the only way that people like me will be cared for in our old age is through migration and immigrants' children. And she's right. You know, there is a shifting Western demographic, which means women having children later or not having them at all, choosing to. And where, where are the people who are going to fund our old age? And she made a very powerful point as a former shadow health secretary. She knows the pressures on the NHS. And I thought that was really interesting. She made the positive case for immigration, not just for that, mm. but also for the economy. And, you know, there's a report this week from the I think tank NISA saying that, you know, if we do, after Brexit, have a big drop in immigration, then the GDP will be hit overall. Well, because Yvette Cooper's off on a tour, isn't she? The home, now, new Home Affairs Committee chairman. What's she doing? What she's, yeah, she's, she's well, she talk about Labour splits immigration. Um, Yvette Cooper wants to kind of unite the whole country and find a single <laughs> oh, consensus on what to do with migration. That's the kind of overarching aim. Which she is there a time frame for this. Good luck. Ambitious, <laughs> but she. But this is, this is just basically going to be a, a series of debates which she's trying to spark off. Um, all over the country um, but it was interesting listening to her on the daily politics because she was because there's a sort of hint of what what kind of thing she's actually talking about she was so she was she was uh, flagging up sort of weird inconsistencies in what the public generally think about immigration so so she's sort of saying you know three quarters uh, want the level to think the level's too high but then half of them think that it benefits the economy and this is a good thing and what do people so, so in a way this almost feels like a sort of educational uh mission <laughs> across the country to kind of inform everyone about yeah. about about what really which 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 perhaps uh will do, could well, do a lot of good but also <laughs> seems a bit 
seems a bit kind of, I don't know, people can see this as kind of slightly patronising, couldn't they? Well, the problem is I think UKIP will probably slate it, won't yeah. they, as, as an attempt to sort of unpick or, or brainwash people. And, and the thought <laughs> police will be risking your local area very soon to tell you why immigration is brilliant. That's the danger yeah. of it. But I think Yvette in particular, uh, don't forget she's from a Yorkshire Street seat that has, you know, worries about immigration. And her ex-husband, uh, her, her no, husband, but ex-MP, <laughs> that would be a story. Ex, ex-MP, a scoop you slipped into the <laughs> ex-MP Ed Balls and, and, and she have both been doing the same thing until he lost his seat. These town hall meetings, I think this is where she's got it from. They were having regular town hall type mm. meetings in community centres in their seats in the last five years and sa- talking to local working class voters saying, look, what are your worries about immigration? And they always said to me, both of them, Balls and Cooper, that when you spend that the first five minutes are bad. But when you get to the sort of half an hour point, think people come to an agreement. They see the benefits of immigration. They don't want to see all the sort of they get the de- the downsides, but they also see the the upside and you have a reasoned conversation at the end you come to a place where they say all right well we'll have some as long as you have some controls but Mm. we don't want to close the borders completely and we don't want to draw up the drawbridge and there was this kind of consensus to be worked out there it's long it's hard it's complex and it Mm. can't be done in two minutes and but i think that's the model she's going on and it's going to be interesting there's going to be a lot more of parliamentarians going out of westminster going around the country because they see there was this big gap this Mm. big big disconnect and also the brexit select committee don't forget has very had a very smart idea of taking its own hearings around the country so there's going to be one in hartlepool for example the whole committee is going to be there taking evidence and so it's it's fantastic i think that at last you know Westminster is going out to talk to people directly in their own community. There was a suggestion from Peter Bone today that uh, Parliament go on tour around the country. Well, there then you he, go. he went one step further. He said he should also go on tour of the world to uh, <laughs> to, to, to show different countries about British democracy, which um, <laughs> might, I might be a little bit... Um, <laughs> that sounds a bit like <laughs> Boris saying, yeah. we, we brought Western civilization yeah. to 18, 81 Maybe it could, countries. it could travel around on the new royal yacht. and um, <laughs> <laughs> Slowly. But uh, also today, of course, it's uh, another by-election. Um, when we last had a podcast, it was a Richmond by-election. Yeah. Today, it's the Sleaford by-election. Um, now the Tories they're going to win it again aren't they I think the majority is 24,000 yeah it's huge and it's gone up every election since 1997 so every election they've increased their majority yeah but I guess what's interesting is what happens in second place Labour in second are we going to see Labour split will we see some of the Labour Remainers go to the Lib Dems and some Labour Leave voters go to UKIP I mean I'm sure some of Labour are a little bit concerned about dropping off that's going to be interesting because I looked at the sort of history of the seat and Labour tradition, even in 2001, mm. you know, when Labour, you know, they're in government and you're in government, then you kind of expect some sort of drop off in your vote. In 2001, the Tories obviously won it all the time, but in 2001, Labour was second with 32% of the vote and the Lib Dems were on 16% of the vote, half of that. You go through all the 2005, Labour again, 26%, Lib Dems were on just 18 Now, of course, 2010, after a long, long time of Labour government, even then, Labour was still on 18%, and, uh, 16%, and Lib Dems were only slightly above them on 18 mm. So Labour should be coming second, there's no question. And in 2010, UKIP obviously nowhere. Since then, of course, we've seen UKIP rise. And at the last election, um, L- Labour were second again, 17%, but UKIP were right behind them on, on 15 the Lib Dems were nowhere, they collapsed. So you're right, the interesting question is, what happens to the Labour Remain vote? Do they bump up the Lib Dems? Are the Lib Dems now got the mantle of being the un- 
you know, unabashed, unashamed pro uh, EU party with no hedging like they saw on this vote this week. I think that was Farron's main attempt in that parliamentary vote was to say, come out with a sort of um, anti-Brexit purity. It was a sort of virile test, virility test for, for them. <laughs> and they, they came out saying, look, there's Labour and the Tories hand in hand pushing a hard Brexit or allowing a hard Brexit just as the SNP will do. And that's why I thought that was interesting. The one bit of the parliamentary theatre this week that might have an impact is on the by-election. And, you know, you can imagine all those Lib Dem leaflets saying that. And it's not like Richmond where Labour had no chance ever. They can't say, oh, we didn't get any votes, but who cares? Yeah, I mean, I think it was 62% leave, wasn't it, Sleaford? And so it it just depends how that breaks down and how that's shared out between Tory voters and everybody else. Um, and and that, will, that will dictate whether it goes to the Lib Dems or to UKIP. It could be difficult for UKIP, actually. I think they could, actually, they're in danger of getting squeezed in this. The Lib Dems, you know, if you're a, if you're a Tory candidate, you've got, you know, you, you're delivering Brexit. You know, what have you got to lose? Why, if you're a, a sort of UKIP voter, would you not want to vote Tory in that seat? I mean, what, what really is there? And the candidate, you know, Victoria Ayling has run locally before. She's not that amazing. You would need a really strong candidate with a, a, a proper long-running campaign like the Lib Dems yeah. had in Richmond. And we haven't seen anything like the same presence or or money or resources piled into that seat. Uh, you know, I stand to be corrected if UKIP somehow pull it out of the bag and do it in a really close second. But it doesn't look like it. It looks like it might be the Lib Dem second. And actually, it's not the only by-election tonight, Ned. Obviously, council <laughs> by-elections. Jeremy Corbyn really loves council oh, by-elections. Oh, how do I forget? Yeah. <laughs> and so tonight, watch out for Labour defending two seats, one in Newcastle under Lyme in the Midlands and another in Lancaster. Uh, and let's see whether mm. how the Lib Dems do in those seats because it will be interesting and how the Tories do, obviously. One of those seats is Lancaster University. So in theory, Corbyn should be working really hard. He's got yeah. a university audience. That's the, supposed to be the metropolitan audience he appeals to, let's see. Uh, but in Newcastle under Lyme, it's a different demographic. So let's see next week how they've done on that. So um, a different topic now. Uh, this week, Donald Trump was named Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Got a, so I can feel something's coming. Got a, got a quiz. quiz. It's called uh, it's called Time or No Time for This. That's not bad. Which that's that's all right, isn't it? That's you know. Well, like, time yeah. in or time out. Okay, we'll, we'll do your time. For God's sake. Right. So time in or time out. You know, <laughs> slave away. Right in the quiz. <laughs> right. I'm going to give you some names of people, and I want you to tell me if they were ever Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Time in. So that's time in yeah. rather than yeah. The okay. ghost of Owen right. lives. And then and then if they if they weren't. Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Time out. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. So, okay, first one. Fidel Castro. Ooh, that's a good mm. one. Was he time in or time well, they, out? They did yeah, do Hitler famously. I think so, time but in. would they have done Castro? Because Castro is so provocative. I say time Unlike out. Hitler. I <laughs> no, I think in America, Castro's even more toxic <laughs> than what? Hitler in the 60s and the 50s. So I reckon that time out, I don't think he was. I'm going to say time in because they're just, they are provocative. They like being provocative. Um, Paul's right. He Aww. wasn't. But kind of surprisingly, I think. But yeah, he, he wasn't. Never, I never think had. it's just it's so toxic as a okay. divisive fake figure. Um, I've got this long list. Good. Uh, Neil Armstrong. <laughs> Neil Armstrong? Yeah. Time in or time out? Hmm. Walked on the moon. Yeah, it's quite a big famously. thing. You think it's a natural it? one? I'm going to be counter- I'm going to say time I, out. I'm also going to say, say time out. I'm going to say they ignored out. the yeah. poor guy. Yeah, you're right. He wasn't first man on the moon. Um, they, the crew of Apollo eight, which flew round the moon, yeah. were in 1968, but not actually Neil Armstrong. That is, which bizarre. I thought was weird. Okay, 
Um, Bin Laden. Crikey, which year would he have been? You wouldn't no, want I to think praise him in 2011. Out, no, I don't um, think so. Maybe, again, you're being tricksy. I'm going to say time in, in the year that, I don't know which year though. Would it be the year he died? Bonus points for years. Would it have been the year that he was killed? Or would it have been... Now that you said that, it's obviously time in, isn't it? Uh, I would say the year he was assassinated. Okay, so you're going... So you're, Well, right. I'm going to say time out, because that's my original... Uh, no, yeah, no, he wasn't. They never picked him. Nah. Um, but in 2001, they picked Rudy Giuliani, who's the mayor of New York. Ah. And whilst that wasn't controversial, everyone sort of said, oh, you kind of chickened out a bit, because it's supposed to be the most influential person. But that's they didn't a good want point. to do Bin uh. Okay, and then one last one. Um, Albert Einstein. Surely he's time Yeah, in. time in. Did he get the Peace Prize? It might have been the year he got a Peace Prize. And again, it's no, he wasn't. They didn't pick him. Oh my God. But in 1999, they gave him um, Person of the Century. So okay. that's all right then, isn't it? To make up for it. Oh, that's yeah. a nice conversation. But you know what's interesting? They say, I wouldn't, when did they change to Person of the Year? It was always Man of the Year. Ooh, I'd, I'd love to know, know that I'm, now. I'm being out-quizzed. Come on. We'll I'll, find out next week, I'll find out week, next maybe. week. And, uh, and with that, see you later, guys. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.